Hi. We're back again with another storytelling into the void. Uh, people seem to really, really enjoy the last one, so we thought we'd do a couple more. I'm doing one, Danny's doing one. We've both picked a couple of stories that we really, really like. Um, before we get into today's episode, I just want to quickly say I'm recording in another room, um, so if my audio's a bit weird or anything like that, that's why. You might hear the noise of my fridge behind me. Um, I don't know, popping or whatever noise a fridge makes. You might hear that. You shouldn't, but you might. Um, okay. <clears throat> uh, today, I'm going to be reading out The Last Question by Isaac Asimov, or at least the first part of it. And um, then I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think makes this story great. Um, interestingly, this is actually Isaac Asimov's favourite story that he ever wrote. I stumbled across it because of that exact reason. It's a sort of an obscure piece of trivia I think I read online, and then I read it and thought, God, that's really good. So um, let's get into it. The last question was asked, for the first time, half in jest, on May the 21st, 2061, at a time when humanity first stepped into the light. The question came about as a result of a $5 bet over highballs, and it happened this way. Alexander Adele and Bertram Lupov were two of the faithful attendants of Multivac. As well as any human beings could, they knew what lay behind the cold, clicking, flashing face, miles and miles of face of that giant computer. They had at least a vague notion of the general plan of relays and circuits that had long since grown past the point where any single human could possibly have a firm grasp of the whole. Multivac was self-adjusting and self-correcting. It had to be, for nothing human could adjust and correct it quickly enough or even adequately enough. So Adele and Lupov attended the monstrous giant only lightly and superficially, yet as well as any men could. They fed it data, adjusted questions to its needs and translated the answers that were issued. Certainly they, and all others like them, were fully entitled to share in the glory that was Multivax. For decades, Multivac had helped design the ships and plot the trajectories that enabled man to reach the moon, Mars and Venus, but past that, Earth's poor resources could not support the ships. Too much energy was needed for the long trips. Earth exploited its coal and uranium with increasing efficiency, but there was only so much of both. But slowly, Multivac learned enough to answer deeper questions more fundamentally, and on May 14th, 2061, what had been theory became fact. The energy of the sun was stored, converted, and utilised directly on a planet-wide scale. All Earth turned off its burning coal, its fissioning uranium, and flipped the switch that connected all of it to a small station one mile in diameter, circling the Earth at half the distance of the moon. All Earth ran by invisible beams of sun power. Seven days had not sufficed to dim the glory of it, and Adele and Lupov finally managed to escape from the public functions, and to meet in quiet where no one would think of looking for them, in the deserted underground chambers where portions of the mighty buried body of Multivac showed. Unattended, idling, sorting data with contented lazy clickings, Multivac too had earned its vacation, and the boys appreciated that. They had no intention, originally, of disturbing it. They had brought a bottle with them and their only concern at the moment was to relax in the company of each other and the bottle. It's amazing when you think of it, said Adele. His broad face had lines of weariness in it, and he stirred his drink slowly with a glass rod, watching the cubes of ice slur clumsily about. All the energy we can possibly ever use for free. Enough energy if we wanted to draw on it, to melt all earth into a big drop of impure liquid iron and still never miss the energy so used. All the energy we could ever use, forever and forever and forever. 
Lupov cocked his head sideways. He had a trick of doing that when he wanted to be contrary, and he wanted to be contrary now, partly because he had to carry the ice and glassware. Not forever, he said. Oh, hell, just about forever, till the sun runs down, but that's not forever. All right then, billions and billions of years, ten billion maybe, are you satisfied? Lupov put his fingers through his thinning hair as though to reassure himself that some were still left, and sipped gently at his own drink. Ten billion years isn't forever. Well, it will last our time, won't it? So would the coal and uranium. All right, but now we can hook up each individual spaceship to the solar station, and it can go to Pluto and back a million times without ever worrying about fuel. You can't do that on coal and uranium. Ask Multivac if you don't believe me. I don't have to ask Multivac, I know that. Then stop running down what Multivac's done for us, said Adele, blazing up. It did all right. Who says it didn't? What I say is that a sun won't last forever, that's all I'm saying. We're safe for ten billion years, but then what? Lupov pointed a slightly shaky finger at the other, and don't say we'll switch to another sun. There was silence for a while. Adele put his glass to his lips only occasionally, and Lupov's eyes slowly closed. They rested. Then Lupov's eyes snapped open. You're thinking we'll switch to another sun when ours is done, aren't you? I'm not thinking. Sure you are. You're weak on logic. That's the trouble with you. You're like the guy in the story who was caught in a sudden shower and who ran to a grove of trees and got under one. He wasn't worried, you see, because he figured when one tree got wet through, he would just get under another one. I get it, said Adele. Don't shout. When the sun is done, the other stars will be gone too. Darn right they will, muttered Lupov. It all had a beginning in the original cosmic explosion, whatever that was, and it'll all have an end when the stars run down. Some run down faster than others. Hell, the giants won't last a hundred million years. The sun will last ten billion years, and maybe the dwarfs will last two hundred billion, for all the good they are. But just give us a trillion years and everything will be dark. Entropy has to increase to maximum, that's all. I know all about entropy, said Adele, standing on his dignity. The hell you do. I know as much as you do. Then you know everything's got to run down someday. All right, who says they won't? You did, your poor sap. You said we had all the energy we needed forever. You said forever. It was Adele's turn to be contrary. Maybe we can build things up again someday, he said. Never. Why not? Someday. Never. Ask Multivac. You ask Multivac. I dare you. Five dollars says it can't be done. Adele was just drunk enough to try, just sober enough to be able to phrase the necessary symbols and operations into a question which, in words, might have corresponded to this. Will mankind one day, without the net expenditure of energy, be able to restore the sun to its full youthfulness even after it had died of old age? Or maybe it could be put more simply like this. How can the net amount of entropy in the universe be massively decreased? Multivac fell dead and silent. The slow flashing of light ceased distant sounds of clicking relays ended. Then, just as the frightened technicians felt they could hold their breath no longer, there was a sudden springing to life of the teletype attached to that portion of Multivac. Five words were printed. Insufficient data for meaningful answer. No bet, whispered Lupov. They left hurriedly. By next morning, the two, plagued with throbbing head and cottony mouth, had forgotten the incident. Gerard, Gerardine, and Gerardette 1 and 2 watched the starry picture in the visiplate changed as the passage of through hyperspace was completed in its non-time lapse. 
At once, the even powdering of stars gave way to the predominance of a single bright shining disc, the size of a marble, centred on the viewing screen. That's X-23, said Gerard confidently. His thin hands clamped tightly behind his back, and the knuckles whitened. The little Gerardettes, both girls, had experienced the hyperspace passage for the first time in their lives, and were self-conscious over the momentary sensation of inside-outness. They buried their giggles and chased one another wildly about their mother, screaming, We've reached X-23! We've reached X-23! We've... Quiet, children, said Gerardine sharply. Are you sure, Gerard? What is there to be but sure? asked Gerard, glancing up at the bulge of featureless metal just under the ceiling. It ran the length of the room, disappearing through the wall at either end. It was as long as the ship. Gerard scarcely knew a thing about the thick rod of metal except it was called a microvac, that one asked it questions if one wished, that if one did not, it still had its task of guiding the ship to a pre-ordered destination, of feeding on energies from the various subgalactic power stations, of computing the equations for the hyperspatial jumps. Gerard and his family had only to wait and live in the comfortable residence quarters of the ship. Someone had once told Gerard that the AC at the end of microvac stood for automatic computer in ancient English, but he was on the edge of forgetting that. Gerardine's eyes were moist as she watched the visiplate. I can't help it, I feel funny about leaving Earth. Why, for Pete's sake, demanded Gerard. We had nothing there. We'll have everything on X-23. You won't be alone. You won't be a pioneer. There are over a million people on the planet already. Good Lord, our great-grandchildren will be looking for new worlds because X-23 will be overcrowded. Then, after a reflective pause, I tell you, it's a lucky thing the computers worked out interstellar travel the way the race is growing. I know, I know, said Gerardine miserably. Gerardette one said promptly, Our microvac is the best microvac in the world. I think so too, said Gerard, tussling her hair. It was a nice feeling to have a microvac of your own, and Gerard was glad he was part of his generation, no other. In his father's youth, the only computers had been tremendous machines, taking up a hundred square miles of land. There was only one to a planet. Planetary ACs, they were called. They had been growing in size steadily for a thousand years, and then, all at once, came refinement. In place of transistors had come molecular valves, so that even the largest planetary AC could be put into a space only half the volume of a spaceship. Gerard felt uplifted, as he always did when he thought that his own personal microvac was many times more complicated than the ancient and primitive multivac that had first tamed the sun, and almost as complicated as Earth's planetary AC, the largest, that had solved the first as Earth's planetary AC, the largest, that had first solved the problem of hyperspatial travel and had made trips to the stars possible. So many stars, so many planets, sighed Gerardine, busy with her own thoughts. I suppose families will be going out to new planets forever, the way we are now. Not forever, said Gerard with a smile. It will all stop some day, but not for billions of years, many billions. Even the stars run down, you know, entropy must increase. What's entropy, Daddy? shrilled Gerardette the second. Entropy, little sweet, is just a word that means the amount of running down of the universe. Everything runs down, you know, like your little walkie-talkie robot, remember? Can't you just put in a new power unit, like with my robot? The stars are the power units, dear. Once they're gone, there are no more power units. Gerardette won, at once set up a howl. Don't let them, Daddy, don't let the stars run down. Now look at what you've done, whispered Gerardine, exasperated. How was I to know it would frighten them? Gerard whispered back. Ask the microvac, wailed Gerardette one. Ask him how to turn the stars on again. Go ahead, said Gerardine. It will quiet them down. Gerardette two was beginning to cry also. Gerard shrugged. Now, now, honeys, I'll ask the microvac. Don't worry, he'll tell us. He asked the microvac, adding quickly, print the answer.
Jared cupped the strip of thin cellular film and said cheerfully, See now, the microfact says it will take care of everything when the time comes, so don't worry. Geraldine said, And now, children, it's time for bed. We'll be in our new home soon. Jared read the words on the cellular film again before destroying it. Insufficient data for meaningful answer. He shrugged and looked at the visiplate. X-23 was just ahead. I really hope you enjoyed that that story. It's um, I know it's only the first half, but I hope you enjoyed the first half at the very least. Um, j- by the way, my neighbour has just decided that now is the perfect time to start hammering something. So, if if that's what you hear, I I cannot apologise enough. The reason I think it's it's bizarrely wonderful is that the story itself was was published I think first in 1956. Obviously, it's now 2021, and I'm I'm reading this and I, I kind of know what he's going on about in that that second portion where he talks about how the microvac is so much more powerful than all the computers that came before it there's that classic fact about how the washing machine in your house has more computing power than apollo 11 and i'm i mean i'm sat not next to my washing machine but my washing machine is over there that had that has more power than apollo 11 and on the desk in front of me i've got my phone and I've also got my laptop, and my phone is obviously more powerful than my washing machine, and my laptop is more powerful than that. So what comes next? I can go out and buy all the parts for a computer and put it together, and then it's a really powerful computer, and then in ten years' time, will it be the same level of strength as my washing machine? I think that it's a really sort of interesting question to ask of, no matter what comes next, what could the technology be? Because that's the thing that I think, looking back through history, has always marched forwards, is, is technology and science. From the point that um, the sort of hunter-gatherer type cavemen types uh, sort of realised, hang on, if we all stay in one place and keep all our cows all in one field, then maybe it's a more efficient way of living, sort of thing. And then that's just sort of developed. And now I don't have to have any cows. I mean, you know, vegetarian and all that, but I don't have to have any fields of tofu cows or whatever it might be i i i because of the advance of technology and the advance of medicine and i think that's a really interesting question to ask what's the next technological advance going to be what's the next medical advancement going to be and i think this question answers it in a really interesting way that sorry the the story answers it in a really interesting way i think um you can probably see which way the story's heading just from this this sort of first section but i think um the second section really hammers it home but the first part sort of does a good job of explaining it as well um of of saying nothing lasts forever apart from human curiosity and i think that's a really powerful thing i think um it's one of those things that i'm sure that i felt and i'm sure you felt it too of when you go to the beach and you, you stand right on the shore and you look out towards the ocean and there's something in in your heart and at the back of your head that says what's on the other side of the horizon if I got in a boat and just sailed that way, what would I see? What would I find? What's next out there? I think that's an innate human thing, and I think that's so beautiful and so weirdly profound. And this story addresses it well, and I think it's one of the few stories I've come across that addresses it so beautifully well. And I'm really sort of impressed by it in a way. Um, well, that is the end of my my quick little snippet of um, of analysis. We're going to get back to back to this story on Sunday. We're going to finish it off. Um, 
uh, I should tell you a few bits and bobs. I've actually written all these bits down because, of course, I have. Um, if you want to find out more stuff about the show, more stuff about me, more stuff about Danny, uh, you can go to our link trees. You can go to linktr.ee slash Lewis underscore Brindley for me, uh, slash Ohiram for Danny, and slash Shouting Into The Void for the podcast. You'll find all the links you can dream of to our Patreon, to our merch store, to our YouTube channel, to our everything you can possibly even begin to think of. Even to our public Discord server. You can come and join us and maybe send in your favourite Isaac Asimov story if you got one. And on the subject of all of the links in the world that go to all of the places you could possibly hope they might, um, we also have a Patreon. We like to take the opportunity every single week to thank all of our patrons, because they really are what makes the show possible. If it weren't for our patrons, we would not be able to make this show. You allow us to cover the costs of all the little tiny things that, to be quite honest, even I don't really understand as being involved in making a podcast, and... I'm just some guy with a podcast. Um, so, to say thank you to all of our patrons. That would be Dougie, Natalie, Richard, Aditya, Sophie, Peter, Darius, and Chloe. Thank you very, very much, one and all. It means the absolute world that you have chosen to support us um, because it means that we can do little uh, creative experiments like these these storytelling into the voids that we really enjoyed. And so, yeah, thank you for joining us. Um means the absolute world and thank you for for being patrons um now just quickly i know this is nobody's favorite part but just quickly at the end uh, i'm going to overthrow all of the stuff i was talking about about the future and, and, and the utopias i'm gonna just say okay let's quickly pay some bills and, and play some hats <laughs> okay we've got our first ad which i'm gonna put in here do you know what my favorite part of recording the podcast is danny is it talking to me about movies and stuff no, definitely not. <laughs> My favourite part is making and drinking a beautiful cup of coffee to keep me focused and centred while we record. I really like using coffee from my favourite roastery, Café Hormozy. I've heard very good things about them. Aren't they a small, family-run roastery in Kent that roasts, grinds and sells excellent coffee? So good, in fact, that they guarantee not to ship anything they wouldn't drink themselves? They are indeed. They have a 100% customer satisfaction rate, and it's easy to see why. I'm currently drinking a mug of their house blend, and it's delicious, it's rich, it's nutty, and it's earthy, just how you'd want it to be. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have to go to hormozy.co.uk, that's hormozy, and pick up a bag with 5% off using our Shouting Into The Void discount code SITV5. That sounds like a great shout. I'd personally recommend their Vietnam White Dragon Origin coffee. It's delicious, and just like all of their coffee, it's great value too. Great! Now can we go talk about movies? No, this cup of coffee's far too good. Ugh. See, I think our ads are really great. I think that one is hilarious. I actually cry with laughter every time I hear it. And uh, I also cry with laughter at the second one, which I'm going to play here. Danny, I've got some amazing news. Oh, really? What? I'm going to make you a hat. Thanks, but, but why? Well, because Right Side Yarns, who sell beautiful and unique wool, have recently released a new range. Oh, I've heard of them. Aren't they that fantastic Scottish business that sells high-quality hand-dyed products perfect for crafting with? They certainly are, and they're sponsoring the show. R really? Have they heard the show? Yes, and apparently they like it. Kezia, the owner of the business, has given us a generous 15% off code for any of our listeners to use. It's is that why you've got Void15 written in your hand? It is! If you or any of our listeners would like to use the code, simply enter VOID15 at checkout with a capital V. Great! Where do I check out? You can go to their website at rightsideyarns.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at kezia underscore rightsideyarns. 
fantastic. This hat you're making me better be good. And there we go. See, did you also cry with laughter? Because you should have done. Because they are hilarious and wonderful. So, I, I, I don't know how else to tell you. <laughs> Thank you very, very much for listening to this story. Um... As I say, this is one of my absolute favourite sci-fi stories, so I do hope you'll join us for the second part, uh, the sort of big wrapping up conclusion of, of the whole story. It's, it's really brilliant. Um, I hope to see you on Sunday. Uh, remember to tune in. Um, so all that is left to say is thank you very much for listening. Uh, be safe, stay hydrated, um, be silly, be kind. Uh, thank you very much. Mm-hmm.